Welcome to Clever Free Zone. We have accessible conversations about crypto and creativity. One of the names that's been brought up repeatedly, or two, I should say, since this channel started, are DAO or DAO Records and Vandal. Vandal is a Canadian rapper, originally of the rap group or crew Cryptic Souls. He has set up uh, a few record labels, I think it's fair to say, most recently DAO, but he also did uh, the movement. Um, he's worked with a lot of interesting people. He's put audio on the blockchain. Even for our space, he called kind of what was going to happen in this space a few years ago, which is ancient in NFT terms. Um, so it's a real honor to have him on today. Uh, there's a lot we're going to cover. Thank you so much for coming on, Vandal. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Julian. Uh, really appreciate what you're doing and um, happy to, you know, get into it and discuss all things uh, NFTs, whatever questions you have. Um, much appreciated. And um, yeah, I think we need more people like you and, and like us um, in the space to do what you're doing. And I think it's great. Well, on that note, in a minute, I'm actually going to ask, because this is something I've been pondering on, the, on this channel is, who else should we be trying to have conversations with? We'll come back to that. But I, I, I'll put that out for you now. Who else, who's adjacent to NFTs? So people in, in arts, who we could be talking to and, and what would that conversation look like? But before we get into that, because I, I think, you know, that is interesting. I do want to bring our, re our readers, our, our listeners up to speed. I want to do for people who know you, which is probably anybody who's in the space will know you. And then for people who are coming new to this, I want to make sure we're all on the same page with information about you because there's so much stuff to go through. But aside from that intro I gave you, a few other aspects of, of you that I think are really interesting. Um, you are extremely well traveled, most notably Malaysia, where I won't take it, you know, from you, but you've you've done a lot there, um, both in terms of hip hop, which is really your passion, and I think one of the unifying threads in your career. Um, but then also just sort of career wise, I think you've I looked at your LinkedIn and you've done something to do with I think first regulated Malaysian um, crypto exchange. Um, you also, as a result, speak some Malay, is my understanding. Um, and then you've also done hip hop, the blockchain. You've done uh, this event that goes back from my research, like at least I want to say to the early 2000s, what you brought into um, crypto called uh, Think You Got Skills. Um, and then you've actually got uh, obviously a, a footprint in crypto voxels as well, which I'd encourage people to check out. Um, so you're kind of a thought leader and then you're a creative leader and then you're a creative yourself. I mean, what would you add to that bio? Um, that maybe I've left out, just so everybody is is broadly aware of all the different things we could talk about when we talk about Vandal. Wow, um, I don't know. Like, I, I guess I have a curiosity um, for for technology specifically. I think it's always been a big part of my life. I guess from from my mom's uh, early days of doing video art and with cameras and, and computers and being introduced to those things but i haven't really done um like i I'm, i wouldn't call myself like a a techie in that sense of like having um you know experimented with coding and and doing sort sort of the more technical aspects but i've utilized sort of the technology throughout the years um as a tool for creating music, whether that's, uh, you know, using old school uh, samplers with seven seconds sampling time uh, on like a three and a half inch floppy disk, <laughs> or, 
you know, using um, computers to to create communities uh, through social media. So I think there's a lot of uh, elements of technology that kind of come into play there. And, you know, just like for me, I, I like I like tech. I like the idea of, I guess, futurism and that sense of what the future of tech uh, and creativity and, and, you know, my interests where they kind of overlap. So um, I guess to add to what you said, definitely there's that tech component. So when I think about when I was like looking at your career and, and becoming aware of all the stuff you've done, I just kept wanting to ask you, how did you grow up? And, and I'm just curious because you're, you're sort of blessed from my naive perspective in that you've got uh, an accomplished artistic mother who, when I looked into Gemini Rising, she's done some pretty cool stuff. Um, I'd encourage people to check out her website. She's also put out some uh, NFTs, which are all sold out. Like really interesting. And then when I was sort of looking into your background, what I saw was a personality that I've always admired, which is somebody who not just said, I'm creative, and you know, creativity is my passion, but who as far as I can tell, seems to have actually made a life narrative out of that. And yet, uniquely, I think, it's not like, you know, vandals like Ghostface Killer, right? Like, it's not like you've had that sort of like, you've broken through the stratosphere. And so I think, artists like yourself to me are really important for people to uh to learn from because you're somebody who's made a living out of your passion and hasn't done that with the advantage of like i don't know being on a billboard and i, I don't i don't know if that's you know speaking uh, out of turn but could you tell us a bit about how you grew up your background like how does how does someone like you happen um, accidentally, <laughs> I don't know. I think that's, that's probably the, the kind of the best way to put it. I think, um, you know, I, I grew up in downtown Toronto and, um, just like in the creative district of, I mean, at the time things always shift in cities. Right. But you know, the, the queen West area, Spadina and, uh, queen Dundas, like I was kind of like a downtown city kid. Uh, for for most of my life and if anybody knows toronto then they probably know like you know 80s 90s downtown toronto like it's a it's it's so hard to compare it to anywhere else in canada really just because of the the diversity of of people um the the freedom at that time to kind of move around and, and have experiences like just as a kid like um out on the streets or, you know, it, it's just, a, uh, it was a different time. And I think that, you know, all of my friends came from all types of different backgrounds from, from, uh, you know, my best friend is Jamaican, but born in Canada. And, um, you know, I have other friends who are Vietnamese and Chinese. Uh, so we have like a, a really sort of wide mix of people and, I believe it was it was probably when I discovered hip hop, to be honest, that really sort of brought me into this sort of mindset uh, that that has led sort of my life journey. And, you know, hip hop in Toronto wasn't exclusively a black thing. You know, it's hip hop is black culture and its roots are embedded in that, uh, you know, south bronx dj cool herc and it's it's a totally different element or type of vibe or place than toronto 
obviously, because we have, you know, it's Canada for one thing. So things are a bit safer than the US, maybe not as much now, but, you know, during those times. And there was a lot, a lot more sort of opportunity uh, and creative freedom and a community that, that was extremely diverse. And I think that that kind of set my foundation personally. Um, and then uh, other than that was really sort of my love of traveling, which again, you know, would be um, influenced from my mom who, you know, took me on trips as a kid. You know, we drove down to Mexico and Guatemala over uh, spring break one time in an old Honda Civic. And uh, over the course of like two, three weeks, um, you know, was able to go to Colombia as a kid uh, in Cali. Um, and, you know, I traveled to Europe on my own when I was 18 and, and saved up money for that. And then um, I guess to, to add to that, there were other opportunities that kind of happened in my life um, that, you know, led me, continued to lead me down this path of like traveling and, and putting my passions together. And, and I think that that would be sort of another nod to what Canada has to offer. Um, in terms of, you know, certain social programs uh, that exist for youth uh, to participate in. So, for example, like I was blessed to be selected randomly. Well, not randomly. I mean, I was on the waiting list uh, to participate in this program called Canada World Youth, uh, which brought me to Indonesia in 93 when I was uh, 19 and had this experience of living in a small village in central Java, um, for like three and a half months and experiencing Indonesian culture and just a different way of living. And I think that was probably another really sort of key moment in my life that, that uh, changed me um, and sort of opened up that window to sort of explore more, uh, more things in Southeast Asia, which ultimately led to kind of settling down in Malaysia. How long did you live in Malaysia? Oh it seems like you've gone back and forth. So how many years overall do you think you've spent there now? Um, I started, well, my first time was in 96 when I was traveling uh, through Southeast Asia. And um, I had met a few people there at that time. Um, nothing music related, really. It was just more, more travel focused, right? And then I had an opportunity in 99 to go back, I was in Mauritius and Madagascar doing this music program, um, collaborating with, with artists and organizing events and um, just kind of documenting, um, recording, uh, documenting uh, my experiences and, and the music and the different uh, people that I met. And I had an opportunity to, to fly back through, through Malaysia. So I took it and I continued to do the things that I was doing in Mauritius and Madagascar when I got to Malaysia. And that just kind of immediately connected me to, um, you know, some of the upstarts in the music industry over there. And I was invited back to, to do a show like five months later from when I had arrived. And that was really kind of like the, uh, that moment where I was like, oh, okay, I can, I can do shows in Toronto. I get paid 200 bucks, mm -hmm. um, but I'm getting flown out to Malaysia to do this big, massive show and like making a couple of G's. And I was, I was like, okay, you know, follow the opportunity. And, you know, I really have an affinity for, for that part of the world. I, I feel like, um, 
you know, culturally it, it fits my personality. And, um, yeah, and that's kind of what led me to, to kind of go back and forth over the years from 99, 2000 until 2007, where, you know, I was in a situation where I was like back and forth, back and forth. And I was kind of figuring out exactly what I was going to do and just decided, all right, let's uh, take the leap and moved out there pretty much until like COVID hit. Well, I guess August, uh, when I came back to Canada, uh, wow. to, to kind of be with, uh, not permanently. I mean, I still have stuff in, in storage over there, you know, <laughs> and I still have plans to, to go back. It's just, um, you know, when the time's right and, you know, it's been good to kind of be back here and, uh, just kind of come to terms with a number of things that had been sort of, uh, plaguing me, I guess, you know, in terms of how I felt personally about Canada and why I left and, and, you know, coming to a realization that, um, you know, it doesn't matter where I am in the world, to be honest. And, you know, um, thank God I found this space really, because if it wasn't for, for this community, um, for crypto art specifically, and then moving now with the music, um, and then like, events and crypto voxels because I, that's what I'd been doing for the most part was, um, events. And I know you got this shadow here. I got the sun, I got the sun coming. So the sun is going to basically kind of glare over me in a bit, but, um, yeah, like doing, doing things that I was doing in the real, like the real world space, um, with communities in Malaysia, um, I can now kind of do globally through, crypto voxels and, and through this, uh, blockchain space. So I, so I find that sort of, uh, very, uh, it's the fuel to kind of the, the passion that has been reinvigorated. And, uh, that's one thing that, that I'm kind of like really, really sort of, I really want to stress that in my personal journey that, you know, discovering the space and contributing to it and to its growth and to the community that, that has come to be through it uh, has been very rewarding during these times. And yeah, if, I think if it wasn't for everybody, like all of you out there, even, you know, um, all, all the people I had disagreements with as well, like, like, you know, all those things aside, it's just, um, yeah, it, it's, it's really touching. I, I think. Uh, for me personally. And I'm thankful, very thankful to, to be here. You know, I know that this is kind of going back to, to the start of uh, our, just our, early in our conversation, but I, I'm selfishly wondering, because I've been listening to your rap and I have to say two things. One, congratulations, you produce a lot of your own beats, but it's also DJ lethal skills, right? And I mean, I think personally, I mean, it's just my taste. I really, I like, I love the production. It's just got this like grimy, but at points quite intricate and, and i would say you you're willing to push the boat out a bit and i think it just makes for great listening um but you also are like an excellent rhymer with a lot of dense wordplay um you know and it's the product of someone who's put like you know decades into it so but the question then for me becomes because you've described yourself as having come up in the golden age of hip-hop but when i listen to your stuff i'm not like oh yeah this is a guy who's listening to like eric b and rakim at least in terms of what you're emulating which makes sense right because the world has changed who are your influences i don't just mean who do you like but who are you like these are the rappers that i just 
I draw? I'm curious. Um, I, I guess the main one would be like Nas. Um, although, you know, like I'm always sort of like a first album dude. <laughs> so um, for, for me, yeah. Album. Yeah. And, and that, like the, the stories he was able to paint, like, like these, these, um, vivid pictures through his lyrics it that really sort of inspired me um in terms of like adding that storytelling element um to to my songs to my writing um but generally i would say that it's not really um it's not really other mcs that that have influenced me it has been experiences in life and these experiences trying to you know, relay them um, in the form of a song or, or lyrics. And, and that also really kind of goes to what you were saying before about the production. And that was one of the reasons why most of my early stuff um, I produced myself, mainly because, you know, I, um, I knew what I, I wanted. And I just kind of like to experiment. And, and I would say that a lot of my stuff is experimental uh, to to a wide degree. And I think that, you know, that's probably one of the reasons why I didn't sort of have the commercial success. Maybe it wasn't really my interest anyways. I just kind of wanted to have experiences and then be able to document those experiences and share them with people. And um, yeah, so um, to, to kind of get back to, to your question, um, in terms of my early, early days, um, it definitely has to be uh, Nas, uh, but after that, it was sort of um, you know all of all of the different people I met along my journey, the the different uh, hip hop you hear around the world, like it doesn't have to be in English to really you know to be able to feel it um, musically and with the flow and and I think that there was a lot of that like when I discovered French hip hop and when I was in Mauritius, really like kind of diving into that. Um, but you know, I speak a bit of French, so it's not like I, I couldn't understand it, but obviously it's hip hop, right? So they're using all kinds of different, uh, slang, like NTM and, and I am, mm -hmm. and they have this like reverse slang where they, they, envers, they put the words backwards as like part of their slang. So it's a, like a lot of interesting, uh, things along the way that, that have kind of taken and, um, you know, kind of melted in the melting pot of me, uh, the creative melting pot and just kind of try to come up with something uh, interesting and different. You know, um, I kind of get bored of the same thing if it's too repetitive or there's too much of it. So Definitely. I guess that's just, that's just me, I guess in that way. I mean, one thing I, first of all, shout out to NTM. They are, um, yeah, I would encourage anyone to check out French hip hop. It just, it's the kind of, it sounds amazing and you can play it in front of anyone like your mom because all the problems of classical hip hop are removed, assuming you don't speak French, which I don't. Um, and it just, it lends itself so well as a language. Um, a question for you, man. And just knowing, you know, I live in London, loads of Canadians here. Traveling is a very common experience, I find, for people who are not from the United States. It's almost like a rite of passage. And, you know, that that's revelatory, I think, to Americans. I myself am English and American, so I've, I've lived between both countries. Um, but this makes me wonder, listening to you, is it fair to say you spent a fair amount of time alone over your travels? 
And do you think that's impacted you and shaped you creatively and in, in the way you view the world? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm an only child. So, you know, I've found uh, ways to entertain myself. And I think that through that, that's sort of been, and that, that would be also like a, a big part of sort of who I am as well. You know, um, I'm not afraid to do things by myself. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, my friends growing up were afraid or anything, but they didn't take the initiative that I took um, in terms of uh, traveling and, you know, needing to have a group of people to travel with. I've kind of always been um, the Lone Ranger, so to say, um, you know, and I'm not, I'm not afraid to kind of go anywhere really. Um, and I think that's part of the experience, you know, like I think that, you kind of have to put yourself out there to have experiences and, and when you're in a comfort zone or, you know, when you're, when you're around, um, you know, people that, that, you know, you tend to in situations of the unknown, just kind of hang out with those people and not really have the opportunities to experience different things. And, you know, I, I would put myself out there. I, I took a trip to, Mongolia kind of on a whim after meeting this guy in Singapore. Um, I was participating in the um, Singapore street festival and we had a little booth set up. Um, I think it was the time of my second album. Second, no first, actually I can't remember. Um, yeah. The first, uh, I had, a, I had my first album out at the time. So I think it was 2003 to end of 2003 ish, I think. And he had, he had like kind of blown my, blown my mind. Cause he was like, yeah, you know, there's hip hop in Mongolia. And like my, my brother, my cousin, and I don't think it was actually his actual brother, but he was like, uh, um, yeah, let me come back. I'll bring you some CDs. So he came back with like a handful of CDs and he just gave them to me. And I was like, whoa. And I listened to them and I was like, whoa, like 2003 Mongolian hip hop that I'd never, ever heard in my life. <laughs> and and I got in touch with, uh, with his uh, brother. And then he's like, yeah, come to Mongolia. You know, we'll, you know, we'll take care of you. We got the show coming up during the Sagansar uh, spring equinox festival there and 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 i was like okay as <laughs> so, uh booked a booked a ticket to beijing uh, met up with like a few people through my network of friends in malaysia who had uh, done like some hip-hop stuff and made some really good friends there in beijing um, and then i took the train up to mongolia from beijing which was like a 32 hour mm. crazy train ride which um which was like really amazing <laughs> It's, uh, you know, and then arrive there, not really knowing what to expect, get off the, get on the platform. And then I see these, these kids, obviously I knew they were hip hop is the way they were dressed. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's them. Okay. <laughs> you know, and, and meanwhile, like, I don't think any of them knew how to speak English and I didn't know any Mongolian. And the only guy that I knew there who spoke a bit of English was uh, that guy's brother, Bad Bold. And then they introduced me to DJ OG who had uh, gone to school in like Hawaii. So he, his English was really good. And that was kind of like, I spent a month in Mongolia during uh, February or January, February of 2004. Um, and it, that was pretty crazy. Do you want to share any stories from that time? I mean, I just think that that's, 
I'm not no pressure if you don't, if nothing comes to mind, but I think most people would be fascinated to know something about spending a month in Mongolia <laughs> with a bunch of hip hop heads. Uh, I mean, was it, what kind of stuff went down when you're doing that? Oh man, it was, it was kind of like the, the, the guys that I connected with, I stop, um, they're actually still active uh, to this day. They're, they're probably one of the legend, legendary hip hop groups in Mongolia. And they were kind of at the peak of their career at that point. And they, they were like basically rock stars. So we would go to the club and it would be like complete VIP and it was a lot of vodka. Um, I learned Mongolian vodka is really good. It's probably my, the, the best vodka in the world. <laughs> and um, and just, just like, I think culturally the differences, you know, like for example, if you're if you're in if you're ever in mongolia and you accidentally like touch someone's foot with your foot like you know you bump feet or something you got to shake hands or else it's, it's like there could be a fight wow. <laughs> and, and um and like <laughs> fights happen but then they're easily forgotten Wait, do you know, you know why that is that why, why I think oh the the foot thing i'm not sure i think it's just a, a sign of respect like if you're like I really, did. I don't know the the cultural nuances to why, but it was just sort of like um, like a sign of respect. Like if if you acknowledge that accidentally you bump someone's foot, you just shake their hand. It was just like some some like a reactionary thing that that people would do. Um, yeah, and and just kind of being around uh, these guys, um, you know, who who had a lot of success and they were planning this concert and and all of the different network of, of musicians and artists, like the show itself, when it came to, to, to the show, it, it was like in this massive uh, auditorium and the, the crowd of people who came to the show were, were pretty much kids. They were like nine to like 15 years old. And it was a two day concert. And I think it cost like five bucks to get in. And there must've been like a thousand, almost 2000 kids in there each day. And the, the whole thing was like produced. There was a live band. There were like contortionists there as part of the thing that they, they had like uh, traditional Mongolian uh, horse hair fiddle players and, and uh, Humi singers. And it was like really uh, <laughs> pretty, pretty incredible. Uh, but just like going around to like TV stations and radio stations and doing interviews and, and like kind of being paraded around. Cause I was, I was pretty much the only, um, non Asian hip hop performer ever to have performed in Mongolia. Mm -hmm. I think there might've been one Russian guy who came to perform, but like, uh, other than that, I think I was the first. Um, from North America or anywhere outside of like the, the immediate area to, <laughs> to ever like go and perform there. And you did actually end up doing gigs in Mongolia. Yeah, we, we did. I went back the year after with, with, um, my homie symbolic and DJ dopey, uh, from Canada, DMC champion, 2000, uh, 2003 or 2003 DMC champion. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and we went back and that was another interesting story. The police came and shut, shut us down right in the middle of his set and came and pulled the fader down, like literally during his set. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of interesting. <laughs> you but, 
Can I ask yeah. you, I mean, you don't have to say, but have you ever been arrested uh, while abroad in, in a situation like that where it just got crazy? No, no, I've kind of usually just snuck out the back door or something. <laughs> I, I People have my back, so I've been, you know, I didn't have any issues usually. Um, even that wasn't like a big deal. It was just kind of like there was some some kind of, there, there was a jealous competitor, I think, mm -hmm. uh, who was doing certain things to, to my friend who was organizing these con these concerts and this club night and um they had like they had been known to kind of shut down the power <laughs> in the venue <laughs> at times just to disrupt his business and i think that they they were in on this uh, this whole thing so they came and and uh called the police some noise complaint or something and they came and they shut it down but we ended up carrying on. I, I was like doing a beatbox and Symbolic was rapping and then we had like the, the crowd kind of clapping along with it. So it was just like, oh, we got to keep doing something while we wait until the power comes back on. Or yeah, they shut, they pretty much just like shut us down. So didn't, didn't come back on. <laughs> that was the end of it. <laughs> I mean, the fact that you got to go and play um, in Mongolia is amazing. And I think, yeah, I mean, I'd love to drill down on all the different just countries you've been to and, and the experiences you've had with hip hop globally. Cause I think one thing I'd add about global hip hop culture that's nice is that when it gets removed from its American origin and context, then I think different parts of it get examined and become possible. Whereas I think that in America, hip hop is necessarily, as you said, it, it's a continuation of, I think, blues music in that it's fundamentally, I think, oriented in the black experience. And I think rightfully so. So I think it's very difficult for for to see it outside of that and i think when you see it in other cultures like russian rap you talked about a russian rapper going there. there's a great russian rapper called pharaoh and you you get the same themes but i think that it, it does allow you to see different aesthetics and and personalities in it but here's a question for you cryptic souls hip-hop group you're part of when i was looking into them uh, i kept finding a song by len which is like a dope 90s little they had a song called steal my sunshine which i'd encourage anyone to look up it's a really feel-good tune um and at first i was like nah that's not the same thing and then as i drilled down i'm pretty sure len of steal my sunshine is totally related and overlaps with could you talk about that a bit you're, you're nodding like it is so yeah that that was that that's definitely an interesting period of time because that was when i had started really kind of embarking on on my travels and um you know, after 96, 97, 98, 99, and in, in and around that, that time, it would have been probably 98, 99, that all the, all of that, the Cryptic Souls crew track happened. And uh, Mark from Len had been kind of hanging around uh, Phil, uh, Planet P, who was like kind of taking, taking the lead on Cryptic Souls. He was sort of my partner since, I guess, uh, 93, 94. And then we moved in together and formed Cryptic Souls in 95. Um, and then it kind of grew out of our home studio making beats and um, just kind of recording and just having fun with hip hop. And um, Mark started coming around more often. And then I noticed like Mark, who was like the brother from Len, was interested in what we we're do what Phil specifically was, was doing, uh, which was this event series called Planet Mars, which was probably one of the first, you know, downtown Toronto, um, hip-hop events on a regular 
which was like a platform for up and coming artists, which happened to be just our network of people who would come through the studio and record and, and other people who kind of hang out uh, with us. And then I started seeing like new gear appear in the studio. I was like, where do we get this? He's like, yeah, Mark, Mark gave it to us. I was like, huh? What's, what's Mark giving us stuff for, you know? I was just like, meh. And then eventually, um, you know, Mark convinced Phil to to do some more stuff with him. And then he had this idea of doing a song for Cryptic Souls. And we uh, there's a, a long story with this song and what happened and how it was kind of... Uh, at the end of the day, we did the song. And then there were some issues with members of the crew um as to what happened uh, on the business end after the song came out and mm-hmm. and it that was kind of the end of the crew to be honest mm-hmm. uh that song solidified the end of cryptic souls <laughs> um to put a long story short without without having to like go into all the, the drama of it all and calling mm-hmm. people out or whatever uh, which i don't want to do but you know it it was um the, the song was very well received and actually Phil, you know, moved to become a part of Len at that point and then toured with them and as representing cryptic souls. And, you know, I was at that point already starting to, to go out of the country and travel. And I was in Mauritius and Madagascar and he actually asked me if I wanted to join the Len at one point. And wow. it was like right at a key moment of like having to make a choice of um you know staying in toronto and being part of len or traveling back to southeast asia um so i went back to southeast asia <laughs> at that point but yeah it's the same it's the same len um you know we shot the we shot the music video for cryptic souls crew in sun peaks british columbia which was a lot of fun um but the song was different the chorus changed the the record label didn't want to pay for a, a video for a song for a group that wasn't len essentially and that's where like all the drama kind of circled circled around that what was it like for you when steal my sunshine and i hope you don't mind me asking you about this i don't know if you just wanted to <clears throat> talk about uh crypto and nfts um feel free to let me if, if you did i think Part of what I think is I want to add to to sort of your story by this interview is just getting to know you more fully, because I do think there's a lot of coverage in the space about like what you're known for, but we will talk about that in a minute. I'm just curious, what was it like? I've always wondered for people who almost were in a group and the group blew up, what was it like for you in that moment when Steal My Sunshine was like a huge single? Um, That was before Cryptic Souls Crew. So essentially they had done that track and um, I was away I think at that time when, when, um, when they shot the video, cause Phil, Phil went down for the, they had, they shot the video, I think in Florida during spring break and Mocha was there and Phil was there. And, and, um, I think a couple of other people from the, from the crew. And, um, so the song was already out. It, it was already big. Um, so at that point, like, my involvement with Len, it, it wasn't there yet, but on the back of that song is how they got their deal. Right. Um, yeah. I forget which label it was. Um, yeah. Anyway, dream world, dreamworks, I think maybe Sony dreamworks. Um, but yeah, like they had gotten like a big fat, like now I don't think you would see an advance like 
what they got. It was like half a million dollar advance for, for off the back of that one song, right? Wow. So, you know, that song obviously went on the album. And then they had the freedom to do all kinds of other stuff. Like, you know, they brought Biz Marquee, they got Biz Marquee on a song and he came, he came around our studio. <laughs> like he brought, uh, Mark <laughs> br brought Biz like to our studio, not inside, but outside, like we came out and we said, what's yeah. up? And you know, like it was, that was really cool, you know? Mm -hmm. And we, we did stuff like uh, that summer, 98, we went to Rocksteady Anniversary in New York, which was like mind blowing. Mm -hmm. And then also to Scribble Jam uh in cincinnati um and that was like the year after eminem yeah. um and juice battled there like that famous battle and and m was supposed to actually be at scribble jam at that time and he had just released the slim shady ep like his first sort of ep which was blowing up um but yeah like that you know i'm not trying to knock the guys or anything it, it a lot of really cool experiences happened but that was also sort of my first lesson in the music industry, you know, on, on like how it operates and, and how it works. And uh, I didn't really want to have any part of it, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> so that, that was another sort of reason to just like continue to do my own thing, you know? I was talking to an IP lawyer, Christopher Moyer, who was really singing your praises when I spoke to him. And we were talking about the complexities of music industry contracts and how, and I think you make this reference in, um, I'm trying to remember which song, but you made actually a really funny joke about black boxes. Um, and in this, for listeners, I mean, the black box is basically all the unaccounted revenue. And it, as crazy as this is, all unaccounted revenue streams from, you know, the smallest artist to whoever, they, it gets divvied up among the biggest artists on a label, if I'm not mistaken. And so there's all these like opaque uh, and really uncharitable practices in the industry. And I'm wondering, as you know, I guess the, the founder of Dow Records, you know, for you, what are the things you want to comment on that you're like, these are key problems that we're addressing with with the artists we put out? I think definitely it's uh, the transparency, you know, um, I've always tried to be like, even before blockchain and, and crypto and NFTs, I've always tried to be as fair and as transparent as possible with all the people I work with. You know, of course, you have hiccups that, uh, that that naturally happen and misunderstandings and stuff, right? But in general, th that's sort of been been my approach, you know. And I think it's fair. I think what's fair is fair, right? And so, you know, with um, with blockchain and specifically now NFTs as as a vehicle to to carry content and and value. Um, it's a lot easier to, to do that. And that's, that was uh, not, it wasn't sort of one of the drawing factors of, of me being attracted to NFTs. It, it was more of like, oh, like th this is a new uh, format and seeing beyond what it can do now or what it could do when I discovered NFTs with uh, CryptoKitties. Um, it was just like, whoa, this is, this is a, uh, this is crazy because you can do way more than just, you know, an MP3 or a song. There's, it's just so much more dynamic. And that's really what sort of um, drew me in because as a smart contract, like there are so many things that can be built in or coded in to the contract. 
and multiple contracts and how they interact. And there, there's just so, so many possibilities that I think are going to solve a lot of problems. Um, eventually once sort of the, the capabilities of, uh, the, the tech, the actual tech stack, um, catching up with the ideas, you know, which is inevitable. Yeah. It's just a matter of time. Right. Um, now we're complaining about high gas fees. Right. And then that's, that's, you know, a real, uh, barrier for for a lot of people to actually uh, keep pushing the boundaries with things right but you know i yeah it would have to be kind of that sort of idea of um fairness and transparency as well as um sovereignty so you can use these tools to your benefit as an artist and kind of build build out the tool set around you for for all the things you need to become a sovereign artist and control your own your own wealth and and it just adds to the fact that a lot of artists are already doing that to a degree the the nature of the independent um you know after spotify um and like with um products like cd baby which was one that i was first on uh, with my Wait, first album Silvers, that company yeah derek silvers wow. yeah um, I had chatted with him a couple of times and he does newsletters and now he's writing books and stuff. Yeah. And he was really sort of open to talk to like, it, it seemed like CD baby was, was a really good, um, vehicle for independent artists. And, and I really enjoyed it. Actually, I was on, on CD baby all the way up until probably the time we, we really solidified the movement, uh, as a label. And then I signed a digital distribution deal with believe digital. Uh, who it, who my friend in Singapore had started working for as when they were expanding to Southeast Asia. Um, but yeah, like, like these type of platforms have made it easier for artists to become independent and really sort of manage all of their digital assets in a way, right. When it comes to streaming and stuff. So, um, so yeah, I think that that was, uh, that the NFTs and, and moving in this direction is just kind of another step um from that you know let me ask you about streaming quickly because i just want your opinion on that and is there sure any... and then ultimately i mean what are the things you want to give shout outs to or that we need to to mention i mean there's loads of stuff i'd love to ask you but i could probably to be honest dude in the long run maybe someday you know i can invite you back on and you can talk about other stuff because i think you have a lot to share but is there anything else we should give a shout out to before we wrap this um, yeah, I, I just, I think that, um, I would like to personally thank, um, crypto wieners and the whole, um, you know, Rizzle and Matthew from scent and the token smart team. Um, also whale shark, who was the purchaser of our first, uh, NFT back in February last year. Um, he's always been very supportive. Um, and, um, who else? I think there's, I mean, a lot of people that have, that I've talked to that have just kind of, you know, um, affirmation, gave me affirmation, uh, with the ideas and the direction uh, that we're headed. Um, everybody who's involved in this space, in the community who, who were not specifically in it for, for the money, um, who want to actually see this grow and, and benefit artists, you know, all of those people, um, yeah, just, just everyone trying to make a difference using this technology. 
And, and I think that, that that's really the, the backbone of, of it all and the communities. So, you know, shout out to the Dow Records uh, Discord community and everybody, like all the artists that we've worked with, uh, visual artists, musicians, beat makers, um, really cool people. Uh, I think it's been such an exciting journey uh, connecting with people from all around the world without even like actually even knowing them, <laughs> you know, like that's something that, you know, reminds me of what uh, my space was for me when it came out, you know, being able to connect with people in different places, doing something that, like you're doing. Um, so yeah, shout out to all those people and everybody like, like yourself who are, you know, putting in the work to document and, and talk to people and share the stories. Thank you, man. Um, I'll ask you a couple of quick questions that I want your opinion on. One, what do you think the, how are we going to find other communities to integrate specifically? Okay. So music streaming, but solutions to that self-publishing like Bandcamp to me is like, I'm a massive fan of Bandcamp. And I keep thinking there has to be some sort of overlap there, but who else do you think, like, where do you see the, the, the next green grass being like it around us outside of what is the NFT community right now? Mm -hmm. Um, I take a different approach personally. I'm reminded of, uh, Napster and even Facebook at the beginning. Um, the, these were like projects from really young people who were just experimenting with the technology. So like Sean Fanning and his decision to, to create this peer to peer network for music sharing and what it turned into and you using the MP3. So I don't see it as something like we're taking currently, a lot of people are just taking what currently exists in each of the industries and then applying, you know, blockchain and, and these tools and NFTs to it. But I don't see that being the future of the space. I see it, you know, some kid in five years who used was 12 and is now 17 who kind of grew up around an NFT or like understanding what crypto is, um, and messing with the tech at a certain point where all the tools are there that enable people to mess with it and then come up with an app that really just shakes everything. And, and it's like, Oh, this is how we're supposed to be using this. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I don't think we, I don't think we figured out how we're supposed to be using this yet. I honestly don't. Um, a lot of people are doing cool stuff but we're not, we're not at that moment yet. I don't think, I think it's going to be from the next generation. It's for sure going to be from the next generation of people coming into the space. So I'm not so worried about, you know, getting big artists in or doing all, all this like massive stuff or trying to like replace, um, or trying to, you know, take what exists and put it on a blockchain and make it more fair for people. I like, I, I think that's cool and all. And I think that's the, phase we need to go through to get to the next phase. But I think for me, it's about the next generation. So our focus is always about, you know, uh, education and bringing up the next, the next generation so that, you know, they can be in a position to use the tools and uh, create the shit that we don't even know we need yet. <laughs> Last question. And I ask everybody this, um, what is something you believe? Um, I believe in me and I believe in people. And I think that, um, you know, when you look deep down inside, we all need the same things. And I, and I believe that there's a, a common shared truth. 
uh, amongst all of us that, um, you know, our world kind of is, is um, repressing or holding, holding it back to a degree. And, um, you know, we're seeing it a bit more, I think, with this community. So it's like, like trust and love and acceptance of we are who we are. You know, people are going to be who they are. We can't change people, but we can accept them for what they are. Um, so yeah, I believe in myself. I believe in you. I believe in people that we can, you know, find the solutions we need to make uh, things better for everybody.